This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. There's lots of things in this world that can scare us, isn't there? We think of the political situations in our world today. We think of uh, the fact that as Christians, if we are to speak up about we believe what we believe in some public settings, we might be ostracized, we might lose our jobs. There's things that uh, scare us in this hostile world. Now, Peter here, we know, has been writing to a uh, church that is suffering in the midst of a hostile world. And we still live in this hostile world. We're citizens of, uh, of Jesus' kingdom. Uh, we live under his rules, but we live in this present evil age where we still experience suffering while we wait for his coming. We wait. We have that hope that will never fade away, that uh, is, is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is kept in heaven for us. Amen? Now, what does Peter tell us how we're to live in the midst of this hostile world about fear? What does he tell us? Well, he's already talked about fear before. He's already talked about fear before. And and the sense that we get is we're not supposed to fear man. We're not supposed to fear what human beings can do to us. Instead, we fear God. Here he touches on the subject of fear again. So we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 13. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, feed us by your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, comfort us by your word. Help us be people who can stand up and not be afraid because we believe your word. Father, give me strength and grace as I preach your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter begins, now who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? He asks, I think what we would call a rhetorical question. He's not expecting anybody to answer it out loud. Of course, this is a letter. (laughs) But uh, he he asked this question, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? And the answer that is expected is no one. 
No one can hurt you. No one can harm you if you prove zealous for what is good. And what it's, when it says here, if you prove zealous for what is good, I don't think he's just talking about being an upright moral person. A person can be a moral person and yet go to hell. Because it's not our morality that makes us right with God. It's, it's our relationship with Jesus. It's the fact that we have thrown ourselves on Him. That's what makes us right with God. But so this, uh, 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 a person who is zealous for what is good is, it's the believer. It's the, the one who's trusting in Him for their salvation. Now he says, who is there to harm you for, if you prove zealous for what is good? And the answer he expects is, there's no one who can hurt you. But, verse 14 says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Peter isn't uh, naive here. He knows that suffering is to be expected in the Christian life. And yet he says, no one can harm you. How do those two things fit together? The fact is, if we believe in Jesus, if we've trusted in him, then even if they kill us, they can't harm us. Amen? Because we have a life, a hope in the future that he will come again and we will raise to new life when he comes again and we will reign with him. Amen? We have a hope that can never be defiled, that can never be taken away. It is kept in heaven for us. And so even if people kill us, if they drag us out into the streets and beat us, we can't ultimately be harmed. Because he is there with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. If we prove zealous for what is good, if we are believers, don't be afraid. Because no one can ultimately harm us. We may face suffering for a while. Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. He expects it. He's not saying whenever he says, even if you should suffer. It's expected. It's expected. He's already said in the letter earlier that suffering is a part of the Christian life. And when we experience suffering, we're looking to Jesus and we're following in his steps. And when Peter says this, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. He's probably calling right upon Jesus's words from the Sermon on the Mount, from the Beatitudes. Whenever he says, whenever Jesus says, blessed are you whenever people um, cast insults against you and, and persecute you for the sake of, uh, for, for my sake and I don't have it memorized, but you know what I mean. They're at the end of the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are you when people persecute you, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Peter is saying something right in line with what Jesus said. But even if people should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Doesn't feel like it sometimes, does it? We, we experience suffering, we experience persecution, we experience people maybe laughing at us or being ostracized or all those things, and, and it discourages us. But we should remember Jesus' words and what Peter says here, we're blessed. We're blessed, for such is the kingdom of heaven. We're walking in Jesus' steps, just like they treated Him 
They're going to treat us. When, we, when they treat us that way, we identify with Jesus. And that ought to be a reason why we could feel happy. We can have joy in the midst of suffering. And even Peter had said earlier, we, know, we, we can have joy in the midst of suffering because we know that that suffering is a refiner's fire that's making us more like Jesus. So, we don't fear what people can do to us. We don't fear how people can harm us because they can't ultimately harm us. And even if we do suffer in this life, we'll be blessed. Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Here, just like I've said earlier, Peter here tells us, and and I think throughout God's word, we're told, do not fear. Don't fear man. Don't fear what human beings can do to us. But we are to fear God. He says, don't fear what human beings can do to us. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't, not, not just don't be fear to, fear, fearful, but also don't let, even let it bother you. <laughs> That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. Don't even let it bother you. Don't even be troubled. But, in contrast, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He places these two things in opposition to each other. Have no fear of them, have no fear of man, but, on the other hand, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I think he he puts these two things against each other because we can't do both at the same time. If we're fearing man, then we're not regarding Christ as we ought to. We ought to remember Christ is king. He is on the throne. Nothing's going to happen that he's not watching over us and protecting us. Nothing's going to happen. And so if we recognize who Jesus is, if we really regard him for who he really is, then we don't have any need to fear. And, and you know, the other way around too. If we're, if we're fearful and, and, and just afraid of what the world is going to do to us, then we probably just don't have the right picture of who Jesus is and how he can be there with us and help us in the midst of all of our suffering. The two can't go together. Either we're fearing man or we're properly fearing Jesus. Amen? Then he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who ask you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter here is telling us we need to be ready to give an answer when people ask us the reason for the hope that is in us. Now, oftentimes we think about this in terms of what we call apologetics. That is, being a, uh, the study of being how to defend the faith. Okay, and that... I think that's, that's right and good, and, and we need to, so far as we're able, be able to study those things and be able to give a, a defense for the faith. But you know, not everybody has to do that. In order to obey this text, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree in, the, in theology. You don't have to have a master's degree. You don't have to have a doctorate. You just have to be a Christian to be able to do this. He says, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. 
It's not about having the right intellectual proofs. When someone asks you, why are you different? Why, why do you have this hope? All you have to do is tell them why you believe in Jesus. What He's done for you. You don't have to be a scholar to do that. If you're a believer, you can tell them why you believe in Jesus. Why you've trusted in Him. Peter here is telling us, when we've experienced suffering and people, you know, people are going to see us experiencing suffering with joy and they're going to say, how do you do it? If I was going through what you're going through, I'd never be able to have the kind of joy you've got. How do you do it? And we are to be ready to share the reason why we have this hope, the reason why we're different, the reason why... Everything going on around us might be chaos, and yet we stand firm with peace because we know who Jesus is. Amen? He says, with gentleness and respect. We're, we're not to be, you know, um, brash whenever we give this answer. We're not to put people down saying, well, of course, because Jesus is great, you know, and, and, and put people down as if, well, man, you're, you're so dumb. You don't, be, you don't believe in Jesus. No, we don't respond like that. We do it with gentleness, with gentleness. And whenever he says respect here, I think, I don't believe that's talking about respect for the other person, although we should respect them. But it uses here in the Greek the word fear. And he's just told us not to fear, right? Not to fear man. Instead, we do so, we're, we are, are having, uh, the, we're ready to give a defense for those who ask us with gentleness towards the other person and with the fear of God. We're standing before him knowing that he is big and he is great and we fear him and not man. There's a book title. I haven't actually read it, but I've got it in my library and I hope to read it sometime. When People Are Big and God is Small. A lot of times people struggle with fear. And the point of that book is to say, it's, when we struggle with the fear of man, it's because God's not in His proper place. God seems to be as small to us and people are big. So if you ever run across that book, I recommend it, even though I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Next, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We want to have a good conscience. We don't want to suffer for doing evil. You know, we don't want to suffer for things that we have done that are wrong. Now, we're still all sinners. We still all fall from time to time. But... Um, we need to bring those things before the Lord. We need to uh, confess those things and, and trust, just like we, when we take the Lord's Supper each Sunday, we know His body was broken for our sins. His blood was shed for our sins. We are washed. And every week, that's a reminder of what He did for us. We can have a clean conscience because we know of what He's done for us. But we are to have a good conscience so that when we're slandered, those who are slandering us, those who are reviling us, 
Those who were reviling our good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now there's a big question here. Do we want people to be put to shame? (laughs) Does that raise that question for you? Do we want unbelievers to be shamed? Well, there's there's two uh, I think uh, ways to I think understand this. First of all, I think maybe some would think of this as an evangelistic sense. When they see when they revile, they may revile us now, but they'll see our good behavior in Christ, and and one day because of our witness. They'll change and they'll be ashamed of the way that they used to treat us. Understand? And then the other way is on the last day, the day of judgment. Those who have have, um, reviled us, who've slandered us in in the here and now, one of these days we're all going to stand before the judge. And those people who have um, who are unbelievers, who die in their unbelief, who have slandered us in this life, we will be vindicated. We'll be vindicated, and they will be ashamed forever in hell. I actually think that the second one is, is probably what Peter's getting at. There is a reason why we ought to live a life uh, so that others would see our lives and then turn to Christ. But I don't think that, the, that what Peter here is getting at is we want someone who's become a believer to then be ashamed of the way they lived before. Our shame is washed away. Our shame is no more. We shouldn't be Christians wallowing in our shame for how we used to live. Paul says he was the worst, but that just magnifies Jesus more. Instead, I think, whenever it says shamed, it's the fact that one of these days, whenever God, whenever at the end times, when Jesus returns, when we stand before the judgment, those who have slandered us in this life will be vindicated. Even though, even though we've been slandered, we don't have anything to be harmed. We, don't, we can't be harmed. We'll be vindicated one day before Him. And others will be ashamed of the way they've treated us. Verse 17. For it is better to suffer for what is doing good, for doing good, than, to, uh, than if that should be God's will, than for doing... For, I can't speak here. <laughs> For it is better to suffer for doing good than if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It almost seems like a duh, <laughs> right? But let's think about this. It's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. If we think about this, this is saying sometimes it's God's will that we should suffer. Tell that to the prosperity preachers. Tell that to the prosperity preachers who will say, well, it's never God's will for anybody to be sick, and it's never God's will for anybody to be poor. You've got to point out this verse to them. <laughs> it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. 
Suffering, our suffering, if it happens as a believer, is always, at least in God's permissive will. And we know that God uses our suffering in order to shape us and mold us into being more like Christ. So, we've looked at this text. There's a lot in there in these short few verses. And I think the big point that we need to come away from this is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Our world can be a scary place for believers. And when we watch the news and we hear about all the things that are going on in the world, we could be frightened. Don't be afraid. Put Jesus in His proper place. Honor Him as holy. Recognize that He is King. He is sovereign. Nothing is going to happen that He is not in control of. And don't be afraid of what human beings can do us because even if they kill us, they can't harm us because we have a hope of a future that cannot ever be shaken. Thank you.